We are in Surah Dariyat, Surah number 51. A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitanir Rajeem, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. والذاريات ذرا في الحاملات وقرا في الجاريات يسرا فالمقسمات أمرا والذاريات which is revealed in Mecca and it is one of the middle Meccan surahs which talk about the system of the heavens and system of uh, the atmosphere and how everything that happens on earth is a product, the last process of this system. So anything that happens on earth is going to be guided by what happens in the heavens. And with that very wholesome system, the heavens and the earth, you connect to the day of judgment, which is the ultimate reality. So Allah subhanahu here swears and takes an oath by four realities, Allah's taking an oath in his creation. So what is the role of a qasam? Uh, why, do, why does Allah need to take an oath? And then why does he take an oath? Allah is Allah. He is the khaliq. He is independent of his makhluq, independent of his creation. Why would he need to take an oath in the name of something he creates? So that is a foundational question in tafsir. And very simple answer is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to highlight his ability, his power, his knowledge, which is manifested in that creation. So human beings can look at his creation and then connect the dots back to the creator. Uh, it's to honor the creation. So Allah is honoring his own creation, so human beings would also honor his creation and then honor him for being the creator. So there you look into each act of Allah and the product of Allah's action and you think about it, you research it and you'll find an abundance of knowledge in that one creation. Allah swears by, you know, the, the fig and the olive, what tini was zaytun. So when you go into uh, tafsir, you research everything there is to know about the fig and everything there is to know about the olive. Thus, what is the intent for the Mufassir? So the Mufassir now has tremendous knowledge 
on the creation that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks of. When Allah is speaking about when asr, time and declining time, the mufassir will go and research everything there is to know about time and everything there is to know about declining time. And then you get your knowledge is broadened. And then you start to realize the magnanimity. And you start to realize the pristine nature of Allah's abilities. So if Allah is saying he is the khaliq, then the proof is his makhluq. If somebody says I'm an engineer, then what's the proof? If somebody says that I'm a lawyer, what's the proof? If somebody says I'm a doctor, what's the proof? So the proof will be in doing the act that is now uh, part of your profession. If somebody says, I'm an alim, then what is your proof? So Allah is claiming he is al-khaliq. What is the proof? It's makhluq. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is informing the poets, the shu'ara, the Arab, the Quraysh, and others who claimed they could represent phenomenon in such a way that is mind-boggling beyond the abilities of the Ajam, beyond the abilities of the uh, non-Arab who simply cannot talk. So this is the challenge that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala threw to those who claimed that they were, you know, artistic, that they were articulate, and that they were eloquent beyond description. So Allah says, okay, try this. Do you even know how to describe any one of Allah's creation as comprehensively as Allah does? So that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes an oath to honor his own creation and to show people who are reading and listening that they must think about this creation because ultimately this will lead you to Allah. By the winds that scatter. That is referring to the winds that amass and accumulate material and substance in the sky, in the atmosphere, dirt and other you know, particles and uh, they scatter everything all over the earth. The, the winds can turn, as you know, very quickly into uh, very high-speed winds, and winds can bring your hurricanes, and winds can bring your tornadoes, and so on. So this is a huge power and force in this world, at least, and human beings must see that, and then trust Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Make a dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that they are not destroyed by this power. And then by the clouds that uh, carry the burden, the burden, what is this burden? The burden of the burden of the clouds and the burden of the moisture, uh, the burden that's there in the atmosphere. So you need to have the capability and the ability. First of all, you have the winds that gather all the mass and then the winds that carry the mass in the form of moisture and rain. Uh, 
and so on, which is guided. And it is designated to go where it is assigned to go. So this is how we see this particular ayah. And then by those winds that carry the rain with ease. How easy is it for all of these very dark, heavy clouds to just travel from one place to another? Uh, so it is quite remarkable if you think about it. And if you don't think about it, at least watch a documentary. You'll be amazed by the amount of energy and the amount of power that these things now bring and the amount of benefit that these things bring to you. And so on. And then by those angels who then distribute Allah's amr. That angels are the ones that will then execute Allah's amr. Allah's order that comes down from the arsh, and then they are given a mandate and they're given very specific instructions as to where this wind is going to blow, with uh, what intensity and how this rain is going to fall and what it is going to do after it falls on the ground. This is the system. Now, this system you can think about uh, eventually and you can forecast and you can determine what kind of clouds there are in the sky. You can determine the wind speed. You can determine the weather. You can determine you know, which way is it going, which way is it going to hit landfall, and what's the path of this hurricane or this tornado, what's going to happen. That's when you understand the rules of this creation. So every creation has a rule. It follows a mandate. That mandate is consistent. It doesn't change. Uh, with, uh, you know, time and space and so on. So if you know how to decipher that law and that rule of how these uh, forms of creation actually represent themselves and how they maneuver themselves, and so there's a system, there's an order. But here Allah brings in for the believer a higher order, and that's the order of the angels. That beyond this system that you can measure and you can calculate and sometimes you may control. There's another order, which is a high order, which you can't see. And that unseen order is the order of the angels. That angels actually regulate and execute the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is what Allah is now saying. Do this one. There are other understandings of the ayat that the ayat also referred to. Maybe fal-jariyat yusran. Those that sail very easily, referring to the ships that carry food and so on. So the rain is there to, you know, fall on the earth and then produce vegetation, uh, help trees grow, help fruit uh, come into the world. And so there's a lot of risk, a lot of food that's associated with the winds and the rain. And so it might make sense that the you know, the, the, the ships that carry the load of food from one place to another, the cargo, they go very easily. So it might be also okay to say that this is referring to the ships that sail with ease. Again, only because they know how the system of the sea and the winds and the current works. If you don't know that, you won't be able to do so. You can't just go randomly and guess and say, I'm going to sail this way and then you end up somewhere else.
So one is the mundane level of understanding, which uh, you should also know. Obviously, as I said, the Mufassir will know this. And the other is the unseen system, which you have to believe in as a believer. So now the believer has access to knowledge that comes from wahi, whereas the non-believer doesn't have access to knowledge that comes from wahi because they won't read these ayat. They won't read the Qur'an. So a believer, if he becomes a weatherman, right, he's going to have iman attached to his knowledge. And then he will always rely on Allah and then rely on dua and everything else. So now the Prophet ﷺ, as he is listening to the wind, as he is hearing the wind, and as he is observing the wind, he brings in iman. Uh, to the forefront, not in the background. Muslims, even if they believe this ayah, their, their mind and their heart is not with Allah. It's still with the creation. <coughs> when the Prophet him, his mind was always with Allah. So if winds blew, oh, in the morning, whenever there was wind, he would make dua. Allahumma inni as'alaka. خير هذه الريح خير ما فيها وخير ما أمرت بها. And this is the the prophet does this, so he takes himself from, you know, the power of creation to the father of Allah, the Creator. Oh, so I ask you, Allah, the best of this wind, and the best of what is in the wind, and the best of what it has been ordered to do. And then on other occasions, Allahumma inni as'aluka sharra hadhihi rih wa sharra ma fiha sharra ma umirat biha. Again, Allah, I seek refuge from the evil of this wind, the evil that is is within it, and the evil that it has been instructed to do. So now we have a different system. So you have three tiers now. One tier is the mundane. The rules of law and science and matter and material, etc. Then the rules of the angels, and then that you have the father of Allah. So the three tier. So a prophet will go to the last one or the first one, depending which way you're going. So that's the the, the, the reading of Wahi that the Prophet said to make sure the Sahaba understood that there there is. I'm, you know, as you know, elements have a mind of their own. So the, the wind has a mind of its own, supposedly. And fire has a mind of its own, supposedly. That's at the very mundane uh, scientific level, even though it follows the rules. Then another level is to say, no, th- these are things that Allah guides through the angels. And then number three, that even though the angels will execute whatever Allah wants them to do, Allah still has the prerogative to decide whether it's khair or shar, whether it's good or evil. That's how you must read the Qur'an. You cannot read the Qur'an without understanding the Prophet It's not simply It's not possible. So that's why you need to look at the tafasi, you need to look at the riwayat, 
the ahadith that speak of this ayah specifically and see what the Sahaba says, see what the Tabi'een said, and so on. And then see how the Prophet ﷺ behaved with these types of ayah, and that becomes the sunnah. So there's all understanding that the, 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 the point here is that everything works within a system. So this world works within a system. There's a system you can see and there's a system you cannot see. When you know this, that the winds of Ethiopia come all the way across the African continent and makes its way over the Atlantic into the Gulf of Mexico and then all the way into Florida, North Carolina and the East Coast. It's a system, it's an order. How does it come from there to here? That is something you should consider. That if you know that there's a system that brings something one one place to another, seemingly random. Okay, for the non-professional, uh, it is random. So now Allah is saying to the Bedouin Arab and to the Quraysh and to the people who now worship others, then Allah, that there is a system. Just as there's a system here in this world, there's another system in another world, and that is the world of the Akhirah. And just as you are promised risk here, through all the system, sit down, I think, I said, this, uh, this surah at the end will also speak about this, as Allah is the one who provides. So if you say, where does that fruit come from? Alhamdulillah, through the ships and the cargo and now the planes that carry food, from one place to another. It is mind-boggling that you have fruits from all over the world. Whether you should eat them out of season or not, that's that's an issue. We're not going there. But the idea that goods come from one place and they end up elsewhere, likewise, you are in one place and you'll end up in another place. Just as food that sustains you is carried by these winds, you mean in the rain, and then uh, obviously everything that grows from the rain and uh, means of transportation helps you understand that things are not uh, stagnant in the world. Uh, Things move, and because they move, they change. So one is that there is now a destination for everything in this world. A certain fruit that, you know, grows somewhere, God knows where, uh, in South Africa, all of a sudden, end up ends up here. So the, the, that particular fruit didn't know its destination until it made its destination. So likewise, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says, you must then draw a conclusion in that line of thinking. That indeed, everything you are promised is truthful. It is true, meaning you are promised a resurrection. So you will move from one place to another, but it will be through another system. And that system is called life and death. And life and death is a system. It has rules and it has regulations. So you must not be baffled as to how you can say that a human being will go through transition. Allah says after discussing you know, how the fetus grows in the mother's womb, all the phases, and then the fetus has a destination, and that is this world, and likewise, you have another destination, 
and that is the barzakh, uh, the grave, and then eventually the day of judgment, and so on. So when you understand that everything is, follows uh, and is coordinated by a system, a nidham, you must then conclude that you also are part of a system that you cannot escape. Just because you don't believe there is life after death, doesn't mean to say it won't happen. إِنَّمَا تُعَدُونَ لَصَادِقُ وَإِنَّ الدِّينَ لَوَاقِعُ And then justice is a reality. Justice is happening. The word deen here means justice. مَالِكِ يُمِدِّينَ So justice is a certainty. It is happening. Just as things happen in the world over 20, 30, 40 years, you don't know how long it takes to grow a, a tree, you don't know how long it takes for you know, the wheat uh, to come to your table in the form of bread, you don't know how long it takes for anything to happen in this world. Likewise, you don't know when it's going to happen. So you can't ask the question when, you can ask the question how, and then what are you going to do about it? So the idea is that the risk uh, comes to you through this process, and then you take advantage of it, you eat it, and you sustain yourself. Likewise, knowledge of the akhirah comes to you through wahi, and when it comes, you should benefit from it, and then make the necessary arrangements and preparations uh, to be part of the Day of Judgment. Mm. So this is now how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks to the either Bedouin Arab, talks to the Quraysh, talks to the Mushrikeen in Makkah. Now this is an organization that is beyond you. And what you can control in this whole order, Amr, and in this whole system is negligible. You can't control the wind. You can't control the clouds. You can't control the rain. You can't control how and when things grow, and you can't control how it moves from one place to another. You don't know. So likewise, you cannot control death, and you cannot control life after death. It is something that you must believe in. It is faith-based, and that's how all Muslims now see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's immense power, an immense organization. Yeah. This is a parable that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is striking, he's using this about the heavens. The heavens has multiple, uh, what do you call it, paths. Hubuk is actually the strands and the strings uh, from which the cloth is made. Yeah. So you have different strands and different strings you know, made, made for, in, in a sweater or even just a yarn. So they, they, if you were to look under a microscope, you'll see they, they're actually like roads and pathways that all lead. And it makes, again, another system. Something, the roads that are tied together. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying now the sky, the heaven, also has multiple roads, roads that you can't see. Now, how do you know? Well, that's just, uh, so this is not uh, empirical. This knowledge is not empirical. It is wahi-based. It is based on your iman. Allah says so, therefore it is. Now, a hundred years from now, they'll discover that there is. 
It doesn't matter to us whether they discover it or don't discover it. We already know. Yeah? Yeah. So the path that angels use to come glide and up and down the heavens, those are roads. Yeah. That we have created above you. Seven paths. The word seven there could be seven in reality and seven as in many, multiple paths. But we can't see them. So if you're an astronaut or you're working for NASA and you go out there looking for these paths, you may stumble upon them, yeah, and you may not. But they're there. But they're not for your use. You can't use them because they're restricted. You need a security clearance. So your spaceships don't have security clearance. Your iman has. Your iman has security clearance because you already believe. And that's the power of iman. It traverses the heavens instantaneously. Your iman goes to the arsh of Allah instantaneously. It, it travels billions and billions of years. If you believe in that theory, a billion years or whatever. Anyway. So we have paths uh, uh, upon which the angels travel and upon which the amr of Allah comes down. So again, it is orderly, it is organized, it is systematic. Nothing is haphazard. In the word Amr, there is order. That's what it means, order. What is order? System, organization, a network. It is precise, it is accurate. So here Allah is swearing by the heaven that has many paths, and those paths, when you see them from a distance, will be like the strands and the strings of clothing and the yarn, and they all come together, and they all fit one piece of reality. And then that's in one heaven, and the next heaven has its own rules until you get to the seventh heaven, and then you get to the kursi, and then you get to the arsh. Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is huge, huge, huge. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that you must think of this reality. Look and and you'll see magnificent stars all scattered like you know, studs of diamonds on the canopy of the dark sky. It's a magnificent scene, but there's much more than that. There's much more that Buruj, the constellations, Allah, Zil Ma'arij, Allah, the one of many, many stairs. And that's where the Miraj occurred, the climbing stairs, climbing, ascending towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, innakum lafi qawlim mukhtalif. The jawab of the khasim is, indeed, you are in statements that are very different. Yeah. You are you're making statements that are varied, and they're very disparate, mukhtalif. They're not coordinated, they're not organized. Some of you speculate, is there life after death? Some of you speculate, can you be resurrected physically? Or is it a spiritual resurrection? Is it metaphoric and symbolic if it's not physical? And so on. Some of you deny the idea of even going beyond the heavens 
and so on. You can't go beyond the heavens. Some of you just simply don't care, so you have different paths. Some of you have paths, and some of you don't have any path. If you don't have any path, then obviously you're stuck. If you do have a path and you don't know which way to go, then you're stuck again. <coughs> so you have to know which path to take to reach your destination. That destination is Jannah. And how do you do that? So you need a path. If you don't have paths that directly and take you directly to your destination, then that is what is called dal, misguided, that you're in error. There's dolala there. Hidayah is guidance where it takes you to your destination directly without any detour. Dolala is it doesn't take you to a destination, it takes you to somewhere else where it might lead to failure, it might lead to destruction. So now if you understand that when the Amr of Allah goes back to Allah, yeah, and when the angels go back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or when they come down, or when the Umar comes down, they follow very, very strict guidelines as to which way to go, which way to navigate. They just don't wander all over the place and they take a detour and visit this star, that star. No, they're straight. That's the sirat al-mustaqim. But it's uh, spiritual as well as mental. Yeah. That's how we see that uh, you are not divided. And you have speculations after speculations. Yukfaku anhu man ufik, the Quran's declaration. Only the perverted one will be diverted. Man ufik, the one who is perverted in his theory, in his methodology, in his determination of the truth or whatever it is he's trying to determine. He will be the one who will always be misguided because your near number one, is not there. Your intention is not there to find the truth. And number two, you are overridden with worldly desires where, you know, death doesn't concern you. You're not worried about your ultimate destination in this world. Your ultimate destination in this world is death. Then after death, what is your destination? Yeah, so that's how Allah subhanahu is saying that those whose minds are already diverted and perverted and they've already misguided themselves, they will not be guided any further because they choose not to be guided. It's their choice. Oh, so if it is not difficult for someone who sees the sun, the moon and the stars and sees the order uh, within the solar system to say, there must be someone who is now controlling this. It's a very simple leap, but people refuse because they want to remain sophisticated. No, we need algorithms. It has to be calculated. There has to be some math here, some physics here. There has to be some you know, empirical understanding or evaluation and then judgment based on hypotheses and data and all of that. So Allah says, no. This is the perverted way. It's a very simple way. The Sirat al-Mustaqim is very simple. It's easy. that you, you connect from the creation to the creator. Very simple. There's no reason for anyone to de- deny the existence of Allah. Subhanahu it is so uh, organic, it is so pristine, and it is so innate. Um, what corrupts and pollutes people is their own fabrications. And their own misguidance that they simply don't want to be humble. 
they want to glorify their minds and their intellect, and in that process, they undignify themselves by losing track of their destination and losing track of their goal, which is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Jannah and so on. So that's why the next ayah says, Based on this argumentation and this method of presenting the truth, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, now, those people who now guess and estimate, khars, khars is when you look at a date tree, a palm tree, uh, before the dates come out, and you speculate as to how many dates they are. And based on that speculation, you sell that in the market, otherwise known as our futures. <laughs> you see why this Unless it's khotila. They are damned, they're killed. It's a curse on Kharasun. Who? Anyone who does this, not just the, 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 the farmer of data, anyone who does it. But this obviously referring to intellectual speculators. Oh, I see this data over there. I see this seems to be interesting data. And then you speculate. Maybe the data is going to yield this result, this many dates, and this type of date it reels nothing. So they're lost. They're doomed. Mm-hmm. So this is how we see Allah subhanahu wa is now uh, presenting this to, I would say, a very intelligent, otherwise, group of people. Mm-hmm. The Quraysh, for all their shenanigans, are actually quite smart. You can't rule people unless you're smart. Okay? They knew how to control the economy. Okay? They knew how to control the people. So in the dunya sense, in the mundane sense, uh, they were smart. And that's why they're called, you know, Abu Jahl, Abu Hakam. He was the smartest man. Until obviously Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Quran and the Prophet came and said, no, he's Abu Jahl. He's the master of ignorance. He's not smart. Smart in the mundane sense that he's able to lead and do whatever he needs to do in order to govern and be the boss, basically. But not so smart in terms of destination. And so on. So here, Al-Kharas, those who speculate and they guess and they estimate and so on. So if you are that way, you're always speculating about what this is, this is. And mashallah, alhamdulillah, now obviously they spend millions of dollars doing research in something we already know. I could have told you that as a Muslim. You read in, you know, medical journals or you read in other educational journals that did you know that if you uh, treat a child or if you overburden the child at the age of three or four, he won't learn anything. We know that. <laughs> it's a basic way. We know the truth because the Prophet gave it to us. So when you compare this with that and you spend millions, sometimes billions of dollars researching, and then you come to nothing. So now you spend all that money and you make a statement, like a theory, and then 10 years later, you spend another uh, $50 million, and you find another conclusion which is slightly different from the first one. So how is that glorified? Uh, So apparently eggs were no good in the 80s. And now everything, everybody says, eggs are good. Apparently coffee coffee was no good. And now coffee is brilliant. You understand? Kharas, <laughs> there is speculate, all oh, speculation, nothing but speculation. 
And alhamdulillah, mashallah, the Muslim community goes with it. And the Muslim community makes a lot of money out of it. But in terms of intellect, Allah says the kharas, they don't have the answer because they don't know the creator. You can only get an answer out of creation if you know what the creator wants from you. And that is called ibadah, which will also come at the end of the surah. So this is how uh, the surah tells us that there are ways and methods and paths by which you can ascertain and determine the truth. You have to follow those paths that come down through wahi and through the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. الَّذِينَ هُمْ فِي Those who are now immersed sahun in uh, error, astray, in their speculation, in their ignorance, that they have this idea and they, they speculate in that idea for 50 years and they go round and round in circles and they end up where they started, basically. So we, we see that the, the, the mental exercise that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying that, okay, if you want to think, think about the order in creation. And that takes you a lifetime to understand the order in creation. So if you want to look into something, uh, analyze, and then find out what is the order, what, what are the rules of nature, what are the rules of gravity, what are the, you know, the mechanical universe, that's fine. You can use all of that to your advantage, but it's not the end. It's just the beginning. Now, if you say this is the end, then you'll be in ghamra, as here this eye is saying, total darkness and confusion and so on. So yeah, you can understand order in creation and you can manipulate it. You can use it to your advantage. You can use it to uh, destroy human beings. But if that's the only goal that you want to understand, discover, manipulate matter, which is a creation of Allah, then obviously you're, you're speculating. That's not the way forward for Muslims. You have to go from there. Yes. Muslims never had a problem understanding the rules and laws of nature. We never had a problem, none whatsoever. But we never gave up ibadah. We still worshipped Allah. We still served Allah. We didn't serve the science. Because that's serving the creation. You don't do that. That's not your ultimate goal. Your ultimate goal is to worship Allah. As it will come at the end of the surah, uh, inshallah. So that's how we say that. You, know, you can have a decent, healthy participation in scientific inquiry engagement. Not at the expense of your iman. Not at the expense of your ethics and moral behavior. And is there, you can help the field industry, you can come up with solutions, answers that other people haven't done so, and so, but then you must move on. You can't sit there and gloat for the rest of your life. I did this. So that's why the early Muslims are very dynamic. If they discover something, they would use it, then they would move on. They wouldn't bask in the glory of that discovery. We worship Allah. Allah is the one who is our creator, he's our malik, he's our razik. And so on. So we do this as a service to Allah and as a service to human beings that they can benefit and you know make their lives a bit more easier and pleasant. But here we see that Allah is saying to these people now that 
there were several types of people in Arabia at that time. Um, some of them were philosophers, and some of them were definitely scientists. And they would engage with these experiments, and because they, they would go travel to Yemen, travel to Egypt, travel to India, even China, and they would come back with these uh, pieces of knowledge and, uh, you know, experimentation and exploration and so on. So it was not something that is alien to the Arabia of the Prophet Sallallahu time. This was known. This is what they did. They, they, they had the, obviously, the Persian okay, civilization. They had the Byzantine uh, civilization. So they knew that this happens in the world. And so on. They knew of, they knew of discoveries and so on. If you read Kitab al-Tib, in Kitab al-Mishkad, you see the Prophet Sallallahu quoting certain formulae of medicine, where the ingredients are from very far off places. Now, how did he know of these uh, types of medicine? He's quoting ingredients uh, that are from India, uh, from China, and that are from Yemen and other places. So now this was something that is as, as a culture. Okay, so we, we have to take this into context. When you look at the context of the Prophet, it's not that simplistic. Oh, he didn't know anything, he didn't read anything. <laughs> He's a very, very intelligent person. And the Quraysh, as I said, were very smart. They traveled that part of the world with ease and comfort, and they would bring business, and they have things moving from one place to another. Even ideas moved from one place to another. That's how they live. It's a very sophisticated kind of order that they lived in. So I'm saying that when the Quran is bringing this sophistication of understanding Allah's creation, and Allah brings in other dimensions into the creation that can only be known through wahi. That, that gives you a platform which is much wider and broader than the empirical one. And that's how the Muslims who were scientists were superb scientists. Because their platform uh, included knowledge from wahi. They had knowledge of the dunya. So somebody is now discussing optics. So he knows what happens in the eye. He knows the theory of lens and he knows the theory of light. And it was advanced for that time. But was there something like the Nobel Prize in those days? No, it didn't happen. Their Nobel Prize is in Jannah. <laughs> they didn't get stuck there. Huh? There's a need for, I think, modern Muslims to be validated and then to be celebrated and celebrating people who do these things. And it's kind of short-sighted. So here, if you read just the story of Muslim scientists, what they did, how they participated in society, how they made life easier for people in society with a certain amount of refinement and sophistication, then you see that they were a very organized a religious group of people where they had both. They had both. Whereas now, since you've killed religion and for all intensive purposes you've killed God, and they're not in the equation anymore, you are so lopsided and you are so short-sighted that you are fi khamratin sahud. Lost in your own deception. Just lost totally. Bereft of any guidance, bereft of any hidayah, and so on. So when you read these ayat, 
uh, inshallah, you'll be, excuse the impression, uh, expression, enlightened uh, through nur, not through science and not through philosophy. You'll be enlightened through nur, nur of the Quran, nur of wahi, nur of the Prophet So that is the role of listening to tafsir, that you connect with the nur of the Quran. And when you connect with the nur of the Quran, you're guided. And you're quite happy. So if a Muslim doesn't discover the cure to cancer, so be it. It's not the worst thing that can happen. And if, mashallah, if Muslims do, inshallah, find a cure for cancer, alhamdulillah, that's Allah's fault. Then move on and find a cure for some other disease. Don't get stuck there. Right? But that, that's how the nur, the nur is light. Light guides you, makes you see, allows you to see the truth from the falsehood, allows you, you know, the di- to see the direction you're heading in. And so on. Otherwise, if you're just a haras, you're speculating and you're estimating and you're guessing without nur, then there's no nur. So for whomever Allah says there's no nur, he has no nur. He has no insight, he has no foresight, he has no vision, and he has no mission, except perhaps a worldly fida benefit of fame and glory, uh, and whatever that brings, inshallah. And it will stop here, uh, inshallah. We'll continue with the next few ayat, inshallah, in a few weeks, inshallah. Jazakallah khair. Take care of yourselves. Allah be with you. Allah guide us all. Amen.